Our speaker this morning uh, is uh, just an amazing, amazing man of God, and you're going to get to hear uh, some of his incredible story. But Dr. Matthew Sleeth is a former emergency room physician and chief of the uh, hospital uh, medical staff, and he resigned from that position so that he could teach, preach, and write about faith and health. Dr. Sleeth has spoken to more than a thousand churches, campuses, and events including serving as a monthly guest speaker uh, at the Washington National Cathedral. He is recognized by Newsweek as one of the nation's most influential Christian leaders, and he is the executive director of Blessed Earth and author of numerous books. There are three of them that are out there, uh, Reforesting uh, Faith, a uh, great book. Also, Hope Always. I think this book is very important for our culture right now and where we are. The subtitle is How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. And this is a very important book. He's going to be speaking to us this morning on this topic around Sabbath. So he's a book out there called 24-6. I think these are like $15 a piece. But if you don't have money to pay for them, please just take one. Uh, that is okay as well. But these are resources that you're going to want to have. And also 24-6 uh, is also in Korean uh, as well. Uh, I am so excited that he is here. He lives in Lexington, Kentucky with his wife, Nancy. They've been married for more than 40 years they have grown children um, that serve with their families, both in full-time ministry and also medical missionaries. Uh, one of them is medical missionary to Africa. We first met Dr. Salif last year at the New Room Conference, and since that point and over this past year, probably there, there's been no single person who's great, had a greater impact on our staff uh, and on me around this topic of Sabbath, and so I'm so excited that he is here to share with us this morning. We'll also be preparing, just so you know, and we'll have a time of prayer uh, after he preaches. But now, would you please welcome to the platform, Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Thank you, Chris. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Uh, in the first service, I forgot to read the scripture. So I'm going to do that first. So it doesn't go on my permanent record. Um, uh, there's actually two. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. <clears throat> And the, the second is uh, from Exodus uh, 20, and this is where we find the ten, uh, one of the places that we find the Ten Commandments in Scripture. Uh, let's see. Um, 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, it's not going to go on my record that I forgot. Okay. 
Well, it's, it's a lovely morning, and um, I am probably a little unusual in speaking to you. How many emergency room physicians have you had preach to you? <laughs> mm, yeah, that's about normal. Let me explain something about emergency medicine, uh, first of all, uh, which I no longer practice clinical emergency medicine, but um, I love doing it. Uh, but there's one downside to emergency medicine, and uh, you probably don't think about it. They don't have it on the television shows about it. Uh, but nobody wants to hear from an emergency room doctor. Do we have any ER docs or nurses in here? Okay. I'm letting you in on the inside information. They won't tell you. Who want, uh, if, you if you call uh, another doctor, it just means you're ruining their schedule. You're waking them up out of sleep or something like that. And nobody wants to get a call from an ER doctor that you never heard of because it's always bad news. And I remember once uh, having to call somebody up and say, man, I've got bad news and really bad news for you. And, and they said, what is it? And I said, well, the bad news is I've looked over your lab work that you had done and you're going to die in 48 hours. And then the person said, well, what's the really bad news? And I said, I couldn't get a hold of you yesterday. So, um, <clears throat> and I thought if you guys don't get that joke, it's going to be a really long sermon here, okay? So, I want to talk about Sabbath. And I, want to, and I want to preface it with this story. Many of you may not have been born at this time, but in November of 2003, uh, I was outdoors in the evening. It was about oh, eight or so at night. And I was um, up in, uh, right on the border of Vermont and New Hampshire. Our home then was literally a stone's throw from the Connecticut River, which divides those two states. And I just happened to be outside, and something amazing happened. The sky caught on fire. What had happened about eight minutes prior was that on the sun, the largest solar flare that's ever been recorded went off, and this plasma and other stuff raced at the speed of light towards the earth. And um, it probably didn't matter to most people, but if you were an airline pilot anywhere in the northern hemisphere, you were told to dive and get down below 10,000 feet. <clears throat> if you were on the space station, which we've had people on the space station living in space ever since the year 2000, they were told to get into the safe box and everything. It burned out all the sensors on the satellites that measure the energy coming at us. And what you saw was the northern lights on steroids. It was unreal. It, and I wasn't taking or smoking anything. I mean, it just, the entire sky lit up with the colors of the rainbow and everything at night. It was stunning. And my reaction was like most people's. You ran and you, you called the people you knew. You banged on your neighbor's door. I remember banging on my first neighbor's door and they came out and they're like, wow, we got to call people. And I banged on my other neighbor's door and they took a little while coming and they opened it and I, and I said, you got to come outside. It's incredible. The northern lights, like you've never seen them. 
and the guy said, oh, we, we saw those once when we were in Maine. Wheel of Fortune is on now. <laughs> the point being that sometimes something is so beautiful and so lovely, but you can't make somebody else see it, can you? That's our faith. You can't make people believe in, in God, but, but we know what that's like, and Sabbath is like that. And so before I even get started on that, I'm going to tell you how I became a Christian. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. You're in church. Yeah. Okay. So when I was a little kid, I grew up in uh, Maryland, dairy farming country, and uh, I'd go across the street with my family as a little child to uh, a little Methodist church, Wesley Grove Methodist Church, and I would um, not listen to the sermon, but because uh, I was little, and I remember especially in the summertime, the windows were all open. We didn't have air conditioning. And there weren't screens in the window. And I would just love when the bees would come in off, off the uh, bushes and everything. And the, my greatest treat was when a bird would get into the sanctuary. <laughs> and the pastor would try to ignore it and everything. And I just loved that. Um, and uh, literally the cows would moo out. And I just wished... Uh, that once the pastor would have diverged and s went to the bird and said, you even make a place for the sparrow at your holy altar, or uh, when the cows were mooing to talk about a land of milk and honey as the promised land. Um, but anyways, when I, when I grew up a little bit more, my family stopped going there, and as, as life progressed, um, uh, God became less and less important to me by the time I was uh, 16 years old, my family had sort of imploded, and I was living on my own. Uh, and I flunked uh, out of high school. <clears throat> Am I building your confidence <laughs> in me? Would anyone like a prescription now? Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and so uh, just survival was what I thought about, really. Just getting through day by day. And it's kind of tough to be 16 and living on your own. So years went by, and I uh, became a carpenter and uh, worked at that for a number of years and built houses and eventually had a small contracting business of my own. And I went one day to see about a job at my favorite kind of customers that had money. And the guy was uh, a periodontal surgeon. The family was Jewish. And they had four children, one son and three daughters. And when their 18-year-old daughter walked into the kitchen, I remember this. Um, well, their worst nightmare began to unfold. <laughs> That's my wife, Nancy. Yeah, and... <clears throat> And so we met, and you couldn't have described people from more opposite ends of the spectrum or the track, the different sides of the track, or however you put it. But we, uh, we, we got married. We got married when she was 20. And, uh, and her family was so not happy. I once said how not happy they were on a radio show, and it got back to her, and I'm not allowed to say how unhappy they were, but... They were not happy. So we got married, and then I face a lifetime of being married into a family that wishes I didn't exist. Hint, 
If you ever marry into a Jewish family and you were not born Jewish, there is only one thing I know to do to get on the good side of your in-laws. Do you know what it is? Go to medical school. <laughs> so literally a week after we're married, I said to my wife, uh, I'm going to go to medical school. And God bless her. She said, oh, that's nice. Now here was the problem. In order to go to medical school, you got to go to undergraduate school first. And I had never had algebra, chemistry, or biology. Uh, so no undergraduate school would take me. <clears throat> I had a problem. I went and talked to uh, a great uncle of mine whom I barely knew. And, uh, and, I, and it was one of those turning points in life. I remember sitting on his porch and, and talking and everything and telling him what my dreams were. And amazingly, he didn't say, you're nuts. He said, I think you can do this. And he said, I will, um, he said, I will make some phone calls. I will have them make you a resident of this state, and I will have them admit you to the university. You gather he had a little bit of oomph, and he'd started the four-year medical school in that state. Um, and he said, I'll get you into undergraduate school. You have one semester, and the rest is up to you. And what had happened between the time I was flunked out of high school and the time I went to college was that this thing called the calculator was invented. And turns out I have something called dyslexia, and I have never been able to memorize the multiplication tables. I cannot do math, or I cannot do arithmetic. But with a calculator, it turns out I can do math. I have 21 hours in physics in, in, uh, in college, all with A's bragging here. Um, so two and a half years after I started undergraduate school, I was accepted to multiple medical schools without an undergraduate degree, which shows you what you can do if you marry my wife, Nancy. <laughs> and uh, we had our first child uh, at, the, at the end of medical school and our second child in residency, and we had no faith per se we had a little religion in our life. Actually, we had every religion. My kids were so confused, they thought that at Christmas time, the fiddler on the roof came down the chimney. If he saw his shadow, they got Hanukkah guilt over on the, okay? But no God. Our religion was the American dream. The American dream is that you live in the best house that you can, in the best neighborhood that you can, and you send your kids to the best school that you can, and you go on the best vacations that you can afford, and you approach life as if you're going to get out of it alive. That's the American dream. Um, and that works until it doesn't work. And when it stopped working for us, uh, we were living on, in Maine, on, on the coast of Maine, and um, my uh, wife and kids went on a family vacation with her family, and her brother drowned in front of my children and in front of her. And that really changed things. Uh, she got depressed, I think that's understandable, but she didn't pull out of it. And life got harder and harder and harder, and one thing after another started happening Another thing that happened was that I had a patient who
who I had resuscitated from overdoses on a number of occasions, and he became obsessed, as it were, with me, um, and then began to stalk me, and did some scary stuff. And it's a hard thing to work at night and leave your home and know that there's somebody that you, that may not intend you good. Um, and eventually did something really scary. The police went and checked on him. And when they entered his apartment, they found his mother in a closet where she'd been taped up and beaten to death and kept there for a week in a closet. And just one after another hard thing began happening. And I'm an American. You know, we smile no matter what's going on. Uh, but life got harder and harder. And it kind of culminated on a beautiful fall morning. And it's a fall morning that if you were alive, you remember what it looked like because everyone in the world tuned in to their television that September morning, September 11th. And we watched as this awful, awful thing unfolded in New York. And as that was happening, uh, I got a phone call from my next-door neighbor, and she said, Matthew, I need your help. Her son was my son's age. They'd grown up together. Uh, they were probably like 10, 10, 11 years old at that point. And she said, I need to get Jamie from school, and I need you to tell me what to say, because his father was in the first plane. That afternoon, we got a call from another friend, a childhood friend of my wife's, and she called because her husband and her brother were in the Pentagon. <clears throat> her brother was killed, her husband was not. She had just had a baby a couple of days before, but her husband wasn't allowed to come home. They put him on a sub to command it and just sent him out to sea. And what happened in the midst of all that horrible stuff was I woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. Now, evil didn't fit my worldview. My worldview was scientific. If you can't reproduce it, if you can't measure it, I don't want to talk to you about it. It doesn't exist. Evil is a spiritual concept. And evil is real. And it exists. And I realized that I was surrounded by this, that evil was going on, and that that's what I was seeing in the emergency department often. And... And I, and I thought, well, if evil is real, and if this world is really in trouble, where does the good come from? Where does the good come from on this planet? And I had seen good. Good happens in an emergency department. And I used to step back. When you're running the trauma code or whatever, you're supposed to, it's saying is step back and take your own pulse. And I'd look at maybe a dozen people with just enormous skills and experience and training, pouring everything they had into saving somebody's life who they may not have even known the name of. Is that not good? The answer is yes, that's good. And so I wondered, where does that good come from? And so I began looking for answers because my life was horrible at that point. I wanted out of my life. I wanted a different wife. I wanted new kids. I just wanted things to change. And so I went looking, and, and I read the Ramayana. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the Koran. I read some other of the um, world's, you know, religious texts. 
And I found some truths in there, but I didn't find where does good come from? How do you defeat evil? I didn't find the answers to that. One morning, I, by the way, hint, second hint of the morning, if you're going to have a heart attack, do it Sunday morning at 5.30 to 8.30 in the morning. You'll get seen faster in the emergency department than any other time. <laughs> write, write that down, okay? Uh, and so it was that time in the morning, and I didn't have a patient I needed to take care of, and I needed something to read. I, I'm, I'm addicted to reading, didn't have a book with me, and I went looking for something to read. And out in the waiting room of the hospital, I saw an orange book sitting there, and, and it said, Holy Bible. And I thought, you know, I've never read this. Maybe this has an answer in it. Now, this is a big book. And I thought, you know, we don't have one of these at home. So the first thing I'll do is steal it. <laughs> now, where do I start reading? Now, John Wesley termed something called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is when God is reaching and working in people's lives who don't even know that God exists. And here's the prevenient grace. This is a big book. Where do you start reading it? Well, my parents named me Matthew. That's where I started. Had my parents named me Numbers <laughs> or Jeremiah, we wouldn't be here today. And I opened this book, and, and, I, and I started in the book of Matthew, and I met Jesus Christ. And that has changed everything. I became a follower of Christ. Eventually, I went to my wife and I said, I'm going to quit my job. We're going to sell our house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this guy named Jesus. Can you believe that woman is still married to me? <laughs> and, and everyone in my family became a Christian. First my son, and then my wife, and then my daughter. And God, um, I will tell you this, answered my prayer about a new wife. I got a new wife, and she is the hottest Christian babe on the planet. <clears throat> but you know what? She got a new husband, too, <laughs> and I'm not sure he's as good looking. But anyways, um, and so um, everything changed, and um, it wasn't an easy process. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But God began to form us into what he wanted us to be, not what we wanted to be. And one of the first things that we started doing was to keep a Sabbath. That is, that one day out of seven, we did not work. We did not do commerce. We put it in park, if you will. And... That has made an enormous difference in my life. And 10 years into that process, I wrote the book 24-6. You couldn't give the book away to begin with. But over the last decade, it's become the best-selling book on Sabbath in the United States, which is like bragging about being the tallest of the seven dwarfs. Um, Sabbath is, is more and more people want to hear about it, 
because our world just speeds up and speeds up and speeds up. And, it's, and, and, and there's hardly time for a pause anymore. The Sabbath commandment is the longest commandment in Scripture. Now, Sabbath comes before the Sabbath commandment. In, in, in the story of creation in the Bible, God speaks everything into existence. And over those next six heavenly days, things get more complicated and interdependent and everything. And at the end of that period of time, God then um, rested. It says that God finished his work. And he created the Sabbath and he rested. And it says that God is holy and God rests, therefore rest is holy. You are part, uh, as, as people in a Wesleyan tradition here, do you know that you're part of a Wesleyan tradition? You are. Um, uh, you believe in holiness. John Wesley was big on holiness. And John Wesley was really big on the Sabbath. You could get uh, forgiven for, for showing up at your Wesleyan band meeting drunk. But you couldn't get the forgiveness for ignoring the Lord's day. When John Wesley's mother died, Susanna Wesley, Susanna Wesley had, I don't know, do you, does anybody know how many kids? I'm not sure her husband knew. I'm serious. It was something like 19 kids. But they were all spectacular. None of them were goof-ups. Um, and, and so when she died, John and Charles Wesley asked her to write a letter. How did you raise this family that, frankly, they changed the course of the world? They prevented what would have been the French Revolution in England by their revival and by their Methodism. And, and, they, and they saved uh, the British Empire from that trauma. And, and so Susanna Wesley wrote a letter. You can get it online. Susanna Wesley's letter on raising children. But it's very interesting that in the beginning she said that before any of the children could, quote, walk or well go, meaning when they were toddlers, they knew what the Lord's Day was. They knew what the Sabbath was. And if you look in the Bible, what is the definition of holiness? And you read Genesis, the only time the word holy, kadosh the, is the Hebrew, shows up, it shows up being defined as rest. Rest is holy. And, and God wove that rest into the fabric of the universe. And my theology about Sabbath can be brought down to this. I do not believe that Sabbath keeping is a condition of getting in heaven. You don't have to keep the Sabbath in order to be saved. You only have to believe in Christ for that. So Sabbath keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven. It's just the condition that heaven is in when you get there. And and. Tell another story. I'm, I'm going back, back, back in time. In 1964, when most of you weren't even a gleam in the old man's eye, um, my parents took my family then to the, to the World's Fair in New York. Anybody go to that from here? Yes. 
I never got a souvenir from it. Did, did you bring anything back that you could give to me? Okay, good. Um, and, and they went, and, and it was huge. World fairs were huge. Tens of millions of people came to it. And, it was, and, and the thing that, about it was that the future was on display. And, and the thing about the future that was on display was technology. Technology was going to save us. And Bell Labs had this display of this incredible thing that was going to save so much time called the push-button phone. And they had millions of people go through this thing and they made you dial, did you do this? Dial your number like this and do it by push-button. And they added up all the time that the Americans were going to save just not having to push the buttons on the phone. And sociologists were so taken by this and all the other uh, equipment and inventions that were going to save us that you can find article after article that occurred in newspapers and magazines around the country at that time. And they, this was the thing they were wrestling with. How in the year 2000 will America be able to cope with the one-day work week? Is anybody living in that world? <laughs> time-saving devices don't. The gift of time comes from the Lord. And, 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 the, and the greatest package that I've found that it comes in is the Sabbath. And the Sabbath commandments are interesting. They are arranged in groups. Commandments one through three, we'll put on this side of the room. I am the Lord your God. You're not to have any gods above me. You do not make idols and do not take the Lord's name in vain. Those commandments are about God, are they not? That's how we understand God. Commandments um, 5 through 10. And by the way, if you grew up in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, you may number the commandments differently. I numbered them the way the Jews did because they owned the real estate first. Um, and so commandments 5 through 10, honor your parents, don't kill, lie, cheat, steal, run around, or put stuff on your credit card to keep up with your neighbors. I paraphrase. Thou shall not put stuff on your credit card um, to keep up with your neighbors. Those commandments, we'll put on this side of the room, those commandments are about humans, are they not? Those are how humans get along. They don't really have anything to do with God. So on this side of the room, commandments about God. On this side of the room, commandments about humans. On this side of the room, commandments about eternity. On this kind of the room, commandments about temporal things. We're not going to have to worry about stealing in heaven and that sort of thing. And so the question is that Sabbath commandment, the longest commandment in existence, that, that I read, to which group does it belong? Heaven, earth, God, man, eternity, temporal stuff. Take a guess. Where do you think? I think it's a bridge between the two. It is a bridge between heaven and earth. It's a bridge between God and man. It's a bridge between the eternal and the temporal. And for the last 20 years of my life, I have walked out on that bridge and my children have walked out on that bridge, and God has never stood us up. And we live in a time where um, these things are going away. When I was a kid, 
There were literally laws that you couldn't have stores open on Sunday. Did they have those here in the sweet home of Alabama? Yeah, they were called blue laws. And, and so it was much easier for people to observe Sabbath when those were in existence. Um, but they're all gone. Today, if people are going to have this gift of Sabbath in their life, they're going to have to grab it and they're going to have to go for it. Now, in the first service, I had people pair up and talk about their experiences of Sabbath when they were growing up. But you know what? The first service had a little bit more experience than this. <laughs> a little less hair, a little more experience. Um, and, and they talked about their memories of that. And their memories are going to church. And their memories are big meals with family. And their memories are... Um, the fact that their parents were both home on that day, or even if they were on a farm, there was less work on that day, um, and that they didn't go shopping. And, and there's also a memory of t taking naps and being made to take naps. Anybody ever made to take a nap on Sunday in here? Yes. Okay. So we talked about those, and then I unpacked a little bit about what those memories really are. You see, what they remembered was the Ten Commandments. We went to church. The church is where you call on the name of the Lord. You put idols to the side. The opposite of taking the Lord's name in vain is what? Worship, prayer, hearing the Scripture read out loud. Um, and so their memories just sort of go down the Ten Commandments. Um, they remember those big meals with the family. How many of you remember those, or maybe still have that? Um, that? That's really the honor your parents. As both a father and a grandfather, I can tell you that nothing honors my wife and I more than to have our family around the table in peace. And you can just walk down the Ten Commandments. Um, Thou shalt not kill. Physically impossible to do while you're taking a nap. How about thou shall not commit adultery? Well, those of you who raised your hand and remembered that you were made to take a nap when you were a child probably once got up from your nap early and went to your parents' bedroom door and it was locked. <laughs> they were not committing adultery. Okay? It's a funny point. I've actually had people turn bright red in the face when they realize where they came from. But <laughs> our, our everything in this Bible is under attack. Marriages have a hard time surviving. And I wonder sometimes if giving up the Sabbath isn't a bigger deal than people realized. You see, Western civilization worked for 2,000 years by stopping one day out of seven. And now it goes 24-7. And you don't go in to a marriage counselor and have them ask, tell me about your Sabbath. But don't think you can subtract God from life and it doesn't make a big difference. 
I have, actually have a couple of friends that are pastors who will not marry people now unless they have a Sabbath plan because they know that God designed the system to help us. Uh, and I want you, uh, I, for me to reverse 50, 60, 70 years of culture in a couple of minutes is impossible. All I can do is plant a seed in your mind that Sabbath is a good thing and that you maybe ought to study it and that maybe as a church you ought to commit to it. And I will tell you though that if you do that, you're not going to have an easy time. The whole world is against Sabbath. The world is against all those memories that the first uh, uh, group brought up, going to church and meals and, and singing together and praying together and hearing Scripture read. Who's against all that? Who hates the Sabbath? Say it. Satan. Yeah. Satan is the only person in Scripture who introduces himself to God as busy. It's in the book of Job. He's late for the meeting, and God says, where have you been, Satan? And Satan says, I've been going to and fro, up and down on the earth. I am busy. Satan wants to explode this bridge. You know, when you, you invade a country, you don't have enough bombs. Nobody does to blow up every single road. What you do is you blow up the bridges. And this bridge between heaven and earth, between God and man, between eternity and the temporal things, has been exploded for the first time in 2,000 years. It's been exploded in our generation. And I'm here to plead with you that it doesn't have to be that way. It's going to be more difficult to get back, but it's the job of the church. It's not the job of the state. It's not the job of academia. It's not the job of science. They're never going to say, stop one day out of seven. Only the Lord can say that to you. And only the Lord can give those benefits. And I, uh, I'm over time, but can I keep rolling? Okay. Settle in here for the next hour or two. Okay. Um, I, I, I take this chance to brag about my kids when, when we uh, downsized, became Christians, our whole life changed and everything, we started keeping the Sabbath. We moved uh, to a little town right on the Connecticut River, and our, our little town wasn't big enough to have a high school. They tuitioned our kids into uh, a high school across the river in a different state in Vermont. Uh, to St. Johnsbury Academy. St. Johnsbury Academy is uh, independent school. It's neither public nor private. New England has these weird things, independent schools. And um, they are more, it looks more like a college than a high school. And it's very academically rigorous. And that high school has graduated 50 congressmen, senators, and one president. And, and my wife actually taught there be, uh, because I was studying the Bible for a couple of years. And, um, and she taught there, and she had other teachers come to her, and teachers came to my kids, and they said, if you don't study on Sunday, that's the big study day, and if you don't study on Sunday, you're not going to be competitive. And if you're not competitive, it means you're not going to get into an Ivy League school or whatever. And that was the threat. But we had decided to trust in the Lord. We had decided to put our faith 
in what this book says. And so my children would get everything done on Saturday. That's the key, preparation. Even when God was teaching the Hebrew about rest and work on the day before Sabbath, he had them pick up twice as much manna. And so my children learned how to organize their time and get all of their homework done by Saturday. So on Sunday, we could get up and we could go to church and we could come home and we could eat and sleep and nap and read books and go for walks and just be with God. And this is how the experiment turned out. My son graduated first in that class. My daughter didn't graduate. She wanted, my son went off to Asbury College. My, my daughter wanted to be with her brother so badly, she begged the admissions person from Asbury, uh, could she start early? And the admissions person said no. But maybe if you take the SATs and you do really great on them, we'd consider it. She did. She missed two questions. She disputes one. <laughs> she was accepted and given a full scholarship at 15 and a half years of age. Um, both of them finished first in their classes at Asbury. My son, very early on in that high school, was given a vision by the Lord of serving children in Africa. And so he knew he wanted to be a doctor. And, and so he applied only to one medical school uh, and, and in our state, and he was accepted. Where do you think he graduated in his class rank first? The youngest med school graduate ever. When he took the board exams, he did the same thing. He blew, and he's boarded in both in internal medicine and pediatrics. <clears throat> he now makes $2.50 an hour <laughs> running the uh, peds departments at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. <clears throat> you see, God's economy is different than ours. The treasure isn't valued by the world, and the treasure of Sabbath is waiting for you. I have gone past where I want to go uh, in time here, and I apologize uh, for that, but I think it's important to take time for the Lord. Um, there are folks that want to pray with you, is that right? I, I will pray with people over on a side if they want. Um, if we have any oil anywhere, I'm happy to anoint people as well. But there's other folks that will pray for you here. And I'd urge you um, to, uh, to simply lean into God and believe that His rest is more powerful than human work. Amen? Thank you so much for having me here. Jared. <clears throat>